Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, guys. How are we? Everybody have an exciting weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Wasn't that awesome last night? My name is Sam. I'm the spiritual development pastor here. We are so glad you're here with us this morning. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, absolutely. We did too. You know what I love the most about Thanksgiving? Besides the pecan pie, what I love the most about Thanksgiving is the simplicity of it. I think, I think of all the holidays, Thanksgiving is the most simple holiday there is. I mean, think about it. You don't have to, you don't have to go and buy gifts and wrap them and, and give gifts and worry about that. You don't, have to, you don't have to get dressed up for Thanksgiving. At least not at my house, you don't. You don't have to get up early and you, you don't have to stay up late. You don't really have to go anywhere. The, the agenda for the day is pretty well set in my house. It's, it's eat and watch football, and eat some more. And, and that's it. And, and even the menu, you don't have to put a lot of thought into. It's, it's pretty well set year after year as well. The most complicated thing really about Thanksgiving is, 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 it, is it dressing or is it stuffing? You know, I mean, how many of you are dressing people? All right, and how many stuffing people? And how many have no idea because it's too complicated? I love Thanksgiving. Maybe that's not your experience of of Thanksgiving. Maybe it's not simple for you, but for me, I think it's the most simple of all the holidays, and I love simple. My order at Starbucks is coffee. Black. My my order at Chick-fil-A is a chicken sandwich. Every time. I don't even know what else they serve at Chick-fil-A. That's, that's just it. I, I love simple. I think options sometimes make things more complicated. Uh, a couple of years ago, or excuse me, a couple of months ago, our washer and dryer went out. And so I went to the store to go buy a new washer and new dryer. And I hadn't done this in like 20 years. I had no idea the options that were available on washers and dryers. I mean, I knew that you can buy one with the lid that opens at the top or at the front. And that was pretty much it. And they asked me, they said, well, what do you want in a washer and dryer? And I think that's the craziest question I've ever heard. I, I want it to get my clothes clean and I want it to get my clothes dry. That's, that's what I want. And they began to show me all the options that were available. And I was, I was honestly, I was just overwhelmed. And I said, hey, listen, I, 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 here's what I want. I want the fewest buttons and dials and flashing lights you have. That's, that's what I one. So we bought the washer and dryer and took it home and hooked it up. And you know, even now still, when I go to dry clothes, I have to choose. Do I want to dry my clothes very dry or do I want them to be less dry? I mean, why is that an option, you know? I, I just want them to be dry, dry. That's it. We, we take simple things and we can make them complicated. Did you know that at HEB, there are 292 different options for olive oil? It's true. I, I spent all week researching this. It's too, we, we do most of our uh, shopping now online, which is fantastic, but not too long ago, we were at HEB, and uh, Stacy says to me, would you go down a couple of aisles and pick up a bottle of olive oil and bring it back? I think, sure, that's easy enough. I mean, the directive is very simple, right? 
Walk two aisles down. There you will find the olive oil. Get the bottle of olive oil and bring it back and put it in the basket. So I walked two aisles down, and I was not ready for what I was about to encounter. I was surrounded by infinite bottles of olive oil. I, I didn't know what to do. Several minutes later, Stacy finally makes it to that aisle, and I'm still just standing there with my mouth hanging open. I don't, what do I do? This is so complicated. We take simple things, and, and we make them complicated. But, but the truth be told, sometimes I can take simple things, even though I love simple things. I can take simple things and make them complicated as well. One of the morning rituals at our house involves coffee. We just have coffee every morning, and we have kind of this old school coffee pot. So every night before I go to bed, I, I put in a filter in the grounds and the water and get the coffee ready. And, and whoever's up first every morning, which is Stacy, pushes the button and turns it on, and the coffee's ready to go. And so that's kind of every morning. Well, Saturdays are, are slower mornings at our house. And so yesterday morning, I got up and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit more time this morning. I'm going to make a really good cup of coffee. And I thought, I'm going to get out the, the French press, and I'm going to get out the, the tea kettle. I'm going to get out the, 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 the coffee beans. I'm going to get out the grinder and my timer. And I had everything laid out on the counter, and I was ready to make my cup of coffee. And Stacy's standing there in the kitchen drinking her cup of coffee, just watching me. And I put water in the teapot, and I put it on the stove so it'll boil. And, and then I and I'm carefully measure out the coffee beans and put them in the grinder and grind them to just the right size, you know, not too fine, not too coarse. And I pour the grinds into the French press, and, and Stacy's still sitting there leaning, leaning against the island, drinking her coffee, watching me, not saying a word. And, and, then, and then the water starts to boil after a while, and I take the, the water off the, 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 the burner and we'll give it a few seconds because, you know, it has to be the right temperature. It can't be boiling. It needs to be just under the boiling point. And so I pour it after it cools down a bit into the French press, but just a little bit because you, want, you don't want to do it all at first. And I pour it in there and stir it up, and Stacy's still standing there watching me drinking her cup of coffee. And then I pour the rest of the water into the French press and put the lid on. About this time, Stacy walks over to the coffee pot and pours another cup of coffee and comes back over and is watching. And I wait. I set my timer for four minutes and wait four minutes. And after four minutes, I put the plunger down and finally pour my cup of coffee. And Stacy looks at me and she says, that is the most complicated cup of coffee I've ever seen in my life. I think, I think we can all take things that are simple and make them complicated. It's just kind of the world we live in, isn't it? Did you know that there are over 40,000 books on Amazon about weight loss? It's true. Do you know how to lose weight? You, you burn more calories than you consume. That's it, one sentence. And there's 40,000. It's not, it's not easy, but it's a simple concept. We take simple things and we make them complicated. Do you remember how old you were when you learned that one plus one equals two? I think for most of us, it's probably one of the, the first math concepts that we really didn't just know, but understood. Like, like if you have one apple and I give you another apple, how many apples will you have? You'll have two apples, absolutely. Did you know that the actual proof for one plus one equals two is over 300 pages long? And it wasn't proven conclusively until the 20th century. It's true. We take simple things and we make them complicated. In the year 1963, there was a U.S. patent granted for a new invention. And the invention was called a birthday cake candle extinguisher. 
There's an actual patent that was granted in 1963. And the inventor, in his description of this invention, he says this, and I, and I quote, this was his exact words, this device fulfills a long-felt need at birthday parties for small children who may have insufficiently forceful breath to extinguish candles on a cake. It's there. And all I can think is, what was this guy's childhood like, right? It's so simple. If there's a child who can't blow out the candles, number one, if he has brothers and sisters, they're going to take care of it for him, right? But you just lean down behind him and it's instinctive. It's just so simple. But we take simple things and we make them complicated. And, and listen, it's, it's no different with faith. A huge part of my role here at Brazos Fellowship is to talk about spiritual growth. And so I have lots and lots of conversations about spiritual growth. And, and what does that look like? What's the goal? And how do you know when your faith is growing? And what I've discovered over the years is kind of the human tendency is to take something like faith and make it way more complicated, almost out of reach seeming. And, and this idea of growing in our faith or spiritual growth seems so complicated and, and there's all this stuff we have to do and things we have to become and, and it's just so hard to even think about what it means to, uh, to, to grow spiritually. We take something simple and we make it complicated and we've been doing this with faith for literally centuries thousands of years, Jesus himself confronted this issue in a conversation with some, some guys. And we can read about this in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew records this conversation that Jesus has with some legal experts. Now, these legal experts, they were not um, like lawyers or attorneys. And the law they were about to talk about was not like our constitution. The law was the Jewish Torah or the, the Mosaic law, the, the commandments that God had given Moses way back in the Old Testament to, for the Israelite people. And, and the legal experts, they were kind of religious leaders who had devoted them li their lives to memorizing and enforcing these laws. And the conversation starts something like this in Matthew chapter 22, the the the, the, the the expert comes to him and says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? See, this question was in, intended to be an impossible question to answer. And to understand why this question was so complicated, we really need to kind of look at the historical background behind the law of Moses. The law of Moses. I'm sure you've heard of part of it, the Ten Commandments, right? You've heard of that. But these were just 10 of the 613 commandments in the law of Moses. This, this law that God had given the Israelite people through Moses uh, is, is kind of a, a legal contract or a covenant where, where in very simplified terms, he says, if you obey my commandments, these 613 commandments, if you obey my commandments, I will protect you. I will keep you safe. And so we, we, we see this, the, the laws given by God. And over the next uh, 400 years, the Israelite people uh, uh, move into the promised land. And after, after some time, they come to Samuel, the prophet, and they demand a king. And they make this bold statement. They say, we want to be like all the other nations around us. And then over the next 400 years or so, they actually become like all the other nations around them. In this way, they stop following the commandments of God. 
and they rebel against God. They don't keep up their end of this covenant agreement. And the Babylonians in 586 BC uh, come into Jerusalem and destroy the city and destroy their temple and burn their homes and take the Jewish people into captivity. And if you read the prophets in the Old Testament, they say this was God's judgment against the Old Testament uh, Israelites for not keeping up their end of the covenant agreement. And for 50 years, they stayed in captivity. That's an entire generation before they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. And when they returned to Jerusalem, these religious leaders decided that they were going to do everything in their power to make sure this never happened again. And so they took the law of Moses and began to uh, try to clarify it. But in doing that, they began to expand it and added more laws to it. And all these extra layers of laws they began to add. For example, one of the, the, one of the Ten Commandments is uh, keep the Sabbath holy. For the Israelite people, this meant don't work on Saturdays. Well, what they did was, was they added uh, to this 39 categories of what it means to work. And so there were 39 different categories they put under this one law. And under each category, they put subcategories. At the end of it, there are thousands of, of rules to, for, to help them understand what it means to not work on Saturday, to keep the Sabbath holy. Things like how many steps they're allowed to take and how many individual letters they're allowed to write. And so ultimately what they did is, is they, they created layer upon layer upon layer of rules and rituals and regulations that made it seemingly impossible to try and, and, and fulfill this pursuit of being holy and righteous and doing all the things they felt like they were supposed to do. And for the Israelite people, the things they were told by the religious leaders, by these Pharisees that they were supposed to do in order to be loved and accepted by God. What an awful weight to have to live under. I mean, can you imagine? And I know for many of you, maybe that's been your experience. Your experience with church and religion has been this seemingly endless list of rules. And if that's you, I am, I am so glad you're here today because I think when we, when we get to Jesus' answer to this question in just a minute, what's the greatest commandment, I think you're going to find some freedom in that answer, some freedom from this distorted and, and overly complicated view of religion that maybe you've experienced. And maybe you already know the answer and you've probably even heard me talk about this before. But I think it's good for us to step back and kind of take a look at this answer again because our human tendency, I know it is for me and, and for a lot of the people that I talk to on a daily basis, our human tendency is to kind of drift more towards making this more complicated than it has to be. And we feel like there's rules that we have to follow and rituals we have to do. And, and, and so it's good to just step back and take a look at what Jesus says it means to follow him. And so Jesus answers this question. He says, guys, it's not nearly as complicated as what you've made it out to be. It's been very simple from the very beginning. You just missed it. And he answers the question. He says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you, if you have a relationship with God, this is what God wants from you. He wants you to love him and to love the people around you. Well, sometime later, Jesus is having another conversation with a smaller group of people. As a matter of fact, this is kind of his small group, these guys who had spent about three years with, uh, with Jesus. And he has this conversation 
And in this conversation, he says something that completely changes everything for these guys. And he says this, and, and, and this is in John chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment. Now, remember the question earlier, what's the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? He says, this is my commandment. Those were Moses' commandments. That was the old way. I'm bringing you a new way. This is my commandment. And it's commandment singular here. That's important to notice. He says, this is my commandment. And he follows it up and he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, love each other. That's my one singular commandment. If you, get, if you don't remember anything else, remember this one thing, to love one another. I love this, this, this conversation. He says, this is the one thing for you to remember. If you want to know what it looks like to grow spiritually, this is it. If you want to know what the goal is, this is it. Love each other. If you want to know if your faith is moving in the right direction, take a look at this. How are you doing with this one thing? Maybe you're just kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're just checking out what it, what it even means or looks like to, to follow Jesus. And, and, and Jesus would say, this is the one thing I'm asking of my followers. Just love each other. This is it. It's, it's so much less complicated than what you've made it out to be. All the, all the rules you thought you had to follow, all the rituals, all the times you tried to count your steps, all the times you came up short and felt inadequate and exhausted from trying to do all this stuff. And maybe today you just feel like your faith is stuck. And what Jesus would say is this, the measure of your faith, it's not in following the rules and it's not in how much you know or how much you study or how much you give. It's not in the things you did yesterday. The measure of your faith is not in any of these things. The measure of your faith is how much you love. So how are you doing at loving others? Oh, it's so much more simple than what we've made it out to be, I think. But here's the thing. It's also very, very demanding. See, Jesus follows this up. He says, this is my one commandment that you love each other. And he says this, in the same way I have loved you. See, now we have a standard. Now we have kind of a measuring stick. Now we have a, a how we're supposed to love each other. So it's so simple, it's not complicated, but it's definitely not easy. And I want to camp out here for just a minute on these words, as I have loved you. He's not saying here, I want you to feel love. It's not an emotional experience. He says, the way that I've loved you is, is I've chosen to love you. It's a choosing kind of love. And I've chosen to make you more important than me. This is what he says. This is my one commandment, and this is how you do it. By choosing to make the other person more important than you. That's the kind of love that I want you to experience. Well, John, who was there with him that night, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. Sometime later, John writes some letters to the, to the Christians in the first century. In one of these short little letters, John kind of writes about what it means to be a Christian. And I love this. In, in 1 John chapter 3, he reteaches what he was taught that night from Jesus. In verse 11, he says this. This is the message You've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. That sounds familiar, right? He's just reteaching what Jesus had taught him. A few verses later, he writes this in, in verse 16, and we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. 
In other words, this is how we're supposed to love. This is the as I have loved you kind of love that Jesus was, was talking about. He gave up his life for us. It means giving up your sake for the, yourself for the sake of others, making other people more important than you. And he goes on, he gives a really practical application of this in the next verse. I love this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion... How can God's love be in that person? Isn't that beautiful? This is how you love. If you see a need and you can meet that need, do it. That's, that's love. How, how much Bible knowledge does doing this require? Isn't that beautiful? I love this. It's so simple. It's not easy. It's demanding, but it is so, so simple. And we're really good at making things more complicated than they ought to be. And I'm really good at making things more complicated than they ought to be. Even, even this talk, as I was working on this this week, a couple of days ago, I looked at it and I'd made it way more complicated than it needs to be. As a matter of fact, I had made it about seven overtimes too long and, and, and had to really just kind of scale back a bit because it's such a simple message. It's a demanding message, but it's a simple message. But at the end of the day, how do I know if my dryer is working? My clothes are dry. And at the end of the day, how do I know that one plus one equals two? Because if I have one apple and you give me another apple, how many apples do I have? At the end of the day, how do I know if my faith is growing? The Apostle Paul made this bold, bold statement in one of his letters in Galatians chapter 5. He writes this, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Imagine all of the things he could have put at the end of that sentence. Imagine the things that we tend to put at the end of this sentence. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. How do I know if my faith is growing? How am I doing at loving people? How do you know if your faith is growing? How are you doing at loving people? See, the best way to accelerate your faith isn't to read more or study more or donate more or go to more church services. These are all great things. But the best way to accelerate the growth of your faith is to allow your faith to express itself through loving people. Imagine with me the difference it would make if we all focused on obeying Jesus' one commandment to love each other as he has loved us. Imagine the difference it would... Think about your own family growing up. What difference would it have made in your family, if your parents had loved each other this way, if they'd expressed their love for each other by saying, I choose to make you more important than me. I, 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 can, I can only imagine the difference that would have made in my own family growing up. Imagine the difference that would make in your marriage, in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, at your school. Imagine the difference it would make if we decided to really 
make the only thing that count, expressing our faith through love. By saying, I choose to make you more important than me. My friends, that's how we measure our faith. It's so much less complicated than how we think about it and how we approach it so many times. And so we, as, as we close today, I want us to take just a minute to kind of do a, 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 a checkup, a self-examination, kind of a, a spiritual look in the mirror, if you will. And I want to just ask you this question. Is, is your faith growing? How are you doing at loving people? Have you allowed your faith to become more complicated than what Jesus intended? Maybe you've avoided faith or abandoned faith because the people around you seem to make it more complicated and you thought it was so much more complicated than this. Jesus says this, this is my commandment, to love each other as I have loved you. Paul says this is the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is, the, this is the commitment that I'm going to ask you to make, and I'm, a, and I'm asking the same thing of myself to make this morning, to, to realign ourselves with this one commandment of Jesus, to love one another. And as we go into this time of prayer, would you, would you take a good, honest look at yourself, at your life? How are you doing at loving the people around you? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.